thanks Casper for reading and uh, let me add my welcome, let me say good morning, it's nice to see uh, all of you uh, here today, particularly if this is your uh, first time uh, with us, if you're visiting, welcome, it's nice to uh, have you with us. Please do stick around for some tea and uh, coffee uh, after the service, it'd be great to get to know you and spend some time uh, with you. Um, as Tuan has already mentioned, this is our second week in the book of Hebrews and um, Charles Spurgeon, that famous uh, preacher of the past, said of Hebrews chapter 1, he said, it is not possible that any language can fully express who Jesus is. Yet by the Holy Spirit's gracious teaching, I must tell you what I know of him. And I confess that I have felt the weight of this reality in preparing this sermon. And so allow me to pray and ask for the help of his spirit to show us Christ this morning. Let me pray uh, for us all. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would use this chief instrument of your words today in our lives and by the power of your spirit would you show us show us christ would you draw us closer to jesus your son make us desire to know him to increase our likeness to him and enable us to serve him and this we pray for his great namesake amen Our passage today, in many respects, is a pretty simple one. It's only nine verses long, seven kind of carefully selected Old Testament quotes stacked up one on another, and all making one single point. And that point is this. The Son is far superior to angels. A friend asked you today, or maybe during the week, Uh, What was church all about on Sunday? It's not a complex answer. The sun is superior to angels. And that's just picking up where we left off from last week, isn't it? You just read verse 3 with me. Again, if you have a Bible, it's worth uh, opening or on your phone. Um, We're going to flick around a little bit. But back to verse 3, which is the end of last week's passage. After making purifications for sin, the sun sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Maybe a little bit more colloquially, you uh, might say, angels ain't got nothing on the sun. Verse 4 ends with a magnificent statement about uh, the majesty of the sun compared to angels, and it's all down to, it's all down to the much more excellent name that he has inherited. And it's worth being clear at this point that the name we're considering here in these opening verses of Hebrews is not Jesus, though that is his name. The name that we are considering here and concerned with is the name Son. That's the comparison that he's setting up for us. And it's pretty clear when you look at the verses uh, that have just been read for us by Casper. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. Verse 7, of the angels, he says. Verse 8, but of the son, he says. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Verse 13, and to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The comparison is between the son and angels, and the point is that the Son is far superior to angels. 
It's a bit like one of those card games that I used to play as a kid. Uh, I suppose, <coughs> looking around uh, the rooms this morning, uh, not many of you would have played this game, maybe one or two of us looking uh, by the, the gray hair around uh, the room. But, but the, the, the game was called um, Top Trumps. There must have been 50 odd cards with pictures of different airplanes on them. And under each picture, each picture was listed all its specs, uh, top speeds, uh, wingspan, altitude, cruising range, flying range. And the whole point of the game was to pick the category on your card where you thought it was going to be superior to the category on your opponent's card. And if you did that, right, top speed, two and a half thousand meters per second, I don't know, and his was not as high as that. Your card was superior and you won. You took his card, and the whole point of the game was to end up with all the cards, and he had none. But there was always one plane. There was always one card that was far, far superior to all the other cards in almost every category. If you, if you came up against that card, you lost. It's just the way the game was uh, worked and structured. I see a few blank faces looking at me, and so I suppose for the youngsters amongst us, it would be like FIFA 24, right? With, with a player whose rating was 100. Pace 100, shooting 100, passing 100, dribbling 100. Defending even a hundred, right? He's unbeatable. He's far superior to the rest. And the grand introduction to the book of Hebrews is introduction to the son who is far superior to angels. And my guess, my guess is that most of us probably would have agreed with that statement before we even came to church this morning. Theoretically, at least, most of us, we're used to the idea, aren't we, that Jesus is higher than angels in the hierarchy of things. When it comes to the, the pecking order of power, God is at the top, and because Jesus is God, then he's up there, right? He's up there with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Then, then comes angels. Then, well, then probably comes next spirits and ancestors. Then probably apostles, prophets, pastors, and finally you get down all the way to us. That's the kind of scheme most of us probably held in our heads. It's in keeping, isn't it, in some sense, with the teaching of the Bible. Anywhere you turn in the Bible, Jesus is consistently put forward as being superior to pretty much everyone and everything, angels included. And so most of us, I think, would be pretty comfortable with the, pe- with the preacher's simple point that Jesus is just far superior to angels, that he's higher up the ladder than angels, that he's much more majestic than angels. The problem, however, and the problem I think most of us face, is not that we don't agree with the preacher's point, but maybe we've become a little bit cold to the reality. I suggested last week that we live in a context where it's so easy to become just a bit too familiar with Jesus, just a little bit indifferent to Jesus, and so a bit cold to him, where our sense of awe and wonder at who he is, and all that he is, and all that he's done, it's there. We are Christians, after all. It's just that it's like this when it should be like this. Hebrews describes us as those who are infants. The reality is that the Hebrews have been Christian for some time, so it's more like they are are teenagers who are still stuck on the bottle. And so the point of Hebrews 5, 1 to 14 is not simply to agree with these verses, 
It's certainly not just to be comfortable with the theology of these verses. Rather, these verses, this, this grandiose kind of introduction to the sun, it's meant to shake us. It's meant to wake us from our stupor. It's, it's meant to expand our vision of Jesus and grow our awe of Jesus and warm our minds and hearts to Jesus once again. As I said last week, Hebrews is an invitation. It is your invitation. It is our invitation to sit at the feet of Jesus on a Sunday morning and let Jesus leave us all more in awe of him more fascinated by him, more satisfied in him, more firmly fixed on him, lit up and glowing from knowing him. And we can tell that that is the preacher's point, can't we? We can tell that that is what he's trying to achieve in verses 5 to 14 because he moves from stating points to speaking poetry. And not just any old poetry. Verses 5 to 14 is a carefully curated selection of Old Testament poetry, all speaking all singing, all screaming, all shouting, all crying out of the Son's incomparable majesty. The preacher turns to the Old Testament, to the undisputed Word of God, and says, look, don't, don't, you, don't you get it? God has given him the name Son, and if he's given him the name Son, then even angels ain't got nothing on him. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, why this fascination with angels? You don't tend to hear a lot about angels in the Bible. Okay, sure, for the birth of Jesus, there's a few appearances. At the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, again, there's a few appearances. And then throughout the rest of the Bible, just the odd smattering here and there. Why, why make all this a deal of angels? Why mention angels at all? Have we missed something here at Living Hope Church? Have we underinvested in our angel theology? Should we all be going out and buying the latest book on angels and their place in God's plan of salvation? The answer is no. But we do need to slow down and pause for a few moments because this is where the context is absolutely important to understanding, to understanding why all this talk of angels. If you remember back to last week in Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 4, the preacher wanted us to grasp that when God spoke through his son, he spoke fully and finally. That was last week's big point. God has spoken by his son. He has spoken fully and finally. That in his son, God has spoken more clearly, more fully, more completely than he ever spoke in the Old Testament. That right now, God has got nothing else to say to you because he has said everything that he wanted to in his Son. That there is nothing new that God has to say to you that he hasn't already said in his Son. That there is nothing new that you need to hear from God that he hasn't already said in his Son. That in his Son we have God's last word to us, this side of heaven. And yet, and yet how often we find ourselves neglecting the word of God spoken through his Son in favor of some other word of the Lord, some other word of the Lord that's seemingly more powerful or, or, or supposedly more personal. We live in a country, don't we, where everyone, almost everyone, has apparently heard from the Lord directly. Some, some other word, some new revelation, some privileged insight, some direct line to God as if he keeps sliding into our DMs on a daily basis. And it is frightening just how often we treat that word as more powerful and more personal than the word God has spoken by his son. 
And why do we do that? We do that because our awe of Jesus is like this, when it should be like this. You see, the comparison to angels is meant to expand our view of Jesus. And it's meant to expand our view from this, maybe just to this. Maybe it's from this to this. I don't know where you're at. But the whole point is that it's meant to expand our view of Jesus. And it's meant to move us away from that kind of thinking. It's meant to move us away from constantly being impressed by all these other words from the Lord. And it's meant to leave us more in awe of Jesus and more in awe of the Son. And so paying attention to what God has said by His Son. Do you see? Before the arrival of the Son, when it came to speaking to His people, God's most senior messengers were angels. Throughout the Old Testament, that was, that was the most heavenly experience that people could, could expect to be visited by an angel. It was magnificent. It was glorious. It was awesome. It was fearful. It was powerful. It was personal. It was right at the top of the list when it came to God speaking to his people. Even at Mount Sinai, when God is giving the law to Moses, he did so through an angel. And yet, according to the preacher of Hebrews, angels ain't got nothing on the Son. Do you see? God has spoken by His Son, and His Son is far superior to angels. You want a powerful, personal word from God? Pay more attention to the Son. Listen to the Son. And these verses, verses 5 to 14, I think that the preacher highlights two primary ways that the Son is just far superior to angels. First, He is the exalted Son. And second, He is the eternal Son. And the way the preacher kind of drives this home for us is by, is by letting the majesty of the exalted Son kind of frame the majesty of the eternal Son. In other words, verses 5 to 6 and verses 13 to 14, uh, both at the beginning and the end of this passage, they both speak of the Son's exaltation. They're either side of verses 7 to 12, and they, so they're kind of framing this, this eternal nature of the Son in those verses. And so we'll take verses 5 to 6 and then 13 to 14 together. Even angels worship and serve the exalted Son. And then we'll take verses 7 to 12 as we close. Only the Son is eternal. Do you get it? Verse 5 and verse 13, um, they both ask the same rhetorical question, don't they? They use the same device. For to which of the angels did God ever say, verse 5, You are my son, today I have begotten you, or, again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Verse 13, And to which of the angels has God ever said, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? And the answer, of course, is none. He never said that to an angel. But... He said all of it, of the Son. The first part of verse 5 comes from Psalm 2. The second half of verse 5 from 2 Samuel 7. And then um, verse 13 is Psalm 110, which we had read for us a little bit earlier. Psalm 2 is a coronation psalm where God, uh, God kind of, um, he installs his king on his holy hill forever. 2 Samuel 7 is where God is speaking to David and promises David that one of his descendants will sit on his throne forever. And Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the whole of the New Testament that clearly speaks of a king who will rule over all. And each of these quotes, each of these quotes have been selected because they speak of the exaltation of the sun to the heavenly places. 
the, the kind of raising up of the sun from the tomb, not just from the tomb, from the tomb, but all the way back to heaven. Psalm 2, the day that Jesus inherits the name Son, is not the day that he was born, but the day that he rose back to heaven, his ascension, his exaltation. Psalm 110, did you notice how the Son is exalted? He is raised back up to the heavenly throne room and now sits where? Not here on earth, but he sits at the right hand of God on high. He is the exalted Son. And if this is just a a little bit confusing to you, then then stick with me for just a few moments. I'm not saying that Jesus, Jesus wasn't always the Son of God. He is, of course, the eternal Son, and we're getting there in a few moments' time. But if we're going to follow the nuance and richness of this passage, the preacher wants us to see that there is also a sense in which Jesus inherited the name Son at his exaltation, and that made him far superior to angels. Just read verse uh, 6 with me. So verse 6, he's continuing with this line of thought, and he says, And again, when God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, that all God's angels worship him. And the translators here haven't done us any favors. No favors on this one, because this sounds, doesn't it, like the incarnation. Like when Jesus was born, born on earth, now all of a sudden all the angels worship him. But I think in context, it is better understood as referring to his ascension. The Greek word translated here for the world is the same word that is only used one other time in Hebrews. And it's used in Hebrews 2 verse 5, which is clearly and explicitly speaking of the world to come. So verse 6 makes much more sense read like this. And again, when God brings the firstborn into the world to come, he says... Let all the angels worship him. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, the firstborn from the dead entered the world to come as God's victorious king, having secured salvation for his people. And as he enters the new creation, even God's angels lined the way and bowed down and worshipped before him. This is the exalted son. And even angels ain't got nothing on him. Do you see? Do you see what a powerful personal word from God Pay more attention to his exalted son. If angels haven't got anything on Jesus, then why would you listen to some apostle, some prophet, some pastor, some friend, claiming to have a word from the Lord? God has spoken by his son, and his son is exalted above angels and the world to come. And the preacher, uh, the preacher to Hebrews, he, he has this, this clear vision of where the Son presently is. He's not here on earth. We don't see him now. Why? Not because he's hanging out somewhere just waiting to appear. But he is reigning and ruling in heaven. He is the exalted Son. And he keeps coming back time and time again. The whole point through Hebrews is that Jesus is better. Why? Because he rules and reigns in the heavenly places. He is the exalted Son. Comparing him to angels, comparing him to a prophet, comparing him to some, some person who's heard a word from the Lord. It's, it's like comparing um, apples and oranges. They're not the same thing. They're all earthly things. They remain here. And he is the exalted son. And you get to go to him and to speak to him and to hear from him through his words. 
Well, finally, the, the middle section, verses 7 to 12, they speak of the eternal nature of the Son, as opposed to angels who, like the rest of us, are just creatures. Verse 6 um, quotes Psalm 140, uh, 104. And the emphasis isn't so much here on the job description of the angels, which sounds pretty intriguing, doesn't it? But the contrast is rather on the fact that they are created, temporal, malleable beings whom God made and changes at will. But of the Son, he says, verse 8, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of our brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. In verse 10, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you... You, the Son, are the same, and your years will have no end. You see, only, only the Son is eternal. And so not, as the, not only is the Son exalted above the angels, he, he pre-existed before them. Along with the rest of creation, he, he made them, and he sustains them. They belong their very being to, to him and who he is. To help, us, to help us kind of grasp, I suppose, the, the chasm between, between creation and, and, and its creator, one of my lecturers used to say that, that, that angels are to the sun what a goldfish is to a human being. Angels are to the sun what a goldfish is to a human being. There is no comparison. The sun is ontologically different to angels. He is other to them. He does not stand next to them. He stands apart from them, outside of them, before them and over them. He is far superior to angels. Yes, they are heavenly beings, kind of clothed in splendor. Yes, to be visited by an angel was a terrifying experience, but fundamentally they are no different to us. They are creatures just like us, mere mortals. And they ain't got nothing on the eternal Son. The eternal Son is now also the exalted Son. You see that the eternal Son took on flesh, became one of us, and at the cross, most vividly, most clearly, spoke God's full and final word to us. And the same eternal Son has now entered into the fullness of his Sonship as the exalted Son in the world to come. There is no one and nothing better in all creation whom God could have spoken by than his eternal, exalted Son, Jesus. And Hebrews, Hebrews is your invitation to come and sit at his feet, to come and sit at his feet this year, to let him and who he is and all that he is and all that he's done leave us more in awe of Jesus, more fascinated by him, more satisfied in him, more firmly fixed on him, lit up and glowing from knowing him. This grand opening introduction to the book of Hebrews is meant to make, up, make us sit up and take notice of Jesus once again. He's about to go and we're heading there next week to call us to pay much more attention to the Son. And he does that on the back of his introduction to who the Son actually is. Not necessarily because we don't pay him any attention, but maybe because we don't pay him the attention that he's due that we're growing a bit cold to him. But yes, we affirm these truths, 
We agree with them. We know them. But we're coming a little bit cold to them. We read these verses and and, and nothing doesn't affect us in any real way. The whole point of the introduction to Hebrews is to help us recognize that our awe of Jesus should not be like this, but like this, because he is the exalted eternal Son, and God has spoken by his Son. Let me pray for us as we close. Our Heavenly Father, more than anything else, we pray that something of the sheer magnitude of Christ's greatness will grip us. Will grip us and so so shake us, so bring us to our senses, so cause us to turn back to the Son, to value your Son, to cherish your Son, to, to be in awe of him. And so to listen to him above all other voices that we might be looking for, wanting to hear from, help us turn to your son and hear you speak through him to us. Father, as we continue through the rest of the the book of Hebrews, we pray that we are those who are paying much more attention to the son and the great salvation that is in him. For his name's sake and for our good we pray. Amen.